Thank God it's free range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now.
101.5 UMFM. This is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Ells and kicking things off for us tonight, New York-based jazz harpist Brandy Younger with Unrest One. That's Roman numeral one. Uh, released earlier this week, uh, the artist, we've played several things from Brandy Younger over the years uh, in, in recent history. She obviously did a, a collaboration with Desron Douglas that they uh, recorded in the height of the initial wave of covid uh, some some brunch recordings that they did on Sundays. Uh, she had her debut on Impulse last year and uh, just dropped these two tracks this week, as I said. Um, and so I'm going to actually play both of them. We're going to we're going to hear the second one right after I uh, queue up what we've got after this. Uh, as part of the Black History Month, we have been airing conversations with retired Senator Don Oliver. Uh, this is courtesy of fellow campus community station 99.3 County FM in Prince Edward County, Ontario. Uh, this week, his guest is Tiffany Callender, the co-founder and CEO of the Federation of African Canadian Economics, or FACE. Uh, we will get into that after Brandy Younger here on 101.5 UMFM.
You're listening to The Grapevine on 99.3 County FM. I'm Lynn Pickering, and we continue our special series of interviews for Black History Month with my co-host, retired Senator Don Oliver. Our guest today is Tiffany Callender, co-founder and CEO of the Federation of African-Canadian Economics, or FACE. It's a national and bilingual Black-led nonprofit organization focused on providing resources to the Black community across Canada with the aim of accelerating wealth creation. In 2020, in support of the United Nations International Decade for People of African Descent, Tiffany Callender was named in the top 100 of the most influential people of African descent under 40 worldwide. Over to you, Senator Oliver. Well, thanks for that, Lynn. Well, Tiffany, you've had an exceptional career already in your young life, and I'm sure there's a lot more to come. But before we talk about Black History Month, I want to hear a little bit more about your exciting background as well. I know that your parents came from Barbados and uh, you grew up in Montreal. What was it like growing up in Montreal? Well, I grew up in Montreal with a brother and a sister. So I'm the middle kid of three. And uh, Montreal is a dynamic city. Uh, there's a lot of culture. There's a lot of different people from different backgrounds. But what I was really afforded the opportunity to do is be a part of a black community here. So my parents had me involved in, you know, a church where there's a mostly black congregation. I went to black day camps. It was my first job. So my experience uh, in Montreal, one of the most diverse cities in Canada, was also one where I got to, you know, unapologetically explore who I am as a black woman and a black Canadian. So this is it's, it's great. Montreal is diverse, and I really appreciate the experience that I had here with my family. Tell me, how important was education to your family, and particularly speaking French? Oh, it was Education is everything. Uh, from a family from Barbados, education is probably top-notch. It's one of the things that's most talked about. It's our main goal. My mommy say, uh, we go to work, you go to school, right? So <laughs> education was very important. But my mom and my dad migrated in the late 70s to Montreal. And then thereafter, there was the change with Bill 101, where French became really the functioning language of Quebec. And this is where uh, my mom had to make a very important decision, whether she was going to send us to French school or use our eligibility criteria uh, certificates. And she said, no, you're going to go to French school. You're going to learn French because she didn't want us to have any barriers to employment or opportunities later on down the road. So I remember when she went to Woolworths at the time, she bought an English French dictionary and she would translate our homework. So for my, me, my brother, and my sister, uh, word for word uh, so that she could understand and explain. So she was a pioneer um, and education has always been very important. And she herself works with special needs kids. Uh, my dad is an electrician. So uh, learning is a big part of our, our family dynamic. So, and a desire to want to learn more. They really instilled that at home. You mentioned that you had a brother and a sister. Tell us a little bit more about them. Well, interestingly enough, my sister uh, studied finance and she was a banker. Uh, and I, I, <laughs> pulled her, <laughs> I pulled her over to nonprofit a few years ago. So she also runs a nonprofit organization that works uh, towards the social development and the wellness of Black communities in Quebec. So I brought her over to my side. She was <laughs> like, um, and my brother, uh, he's studying to do his EMBA in Toronto. So he's a business guy, a tech guy. He lives in Toronto. He's living the bachelor life. But my sister and I both live in Montreal. We are moms, so our kids are growing up together. So, uh, you know, family first. It's, it's, it's a great uh, experience to kind of become adults. 
and then yeah. see <laughs> how how you fare. I'm sure if you asked her, she'd be like, Tiffany running a, a what? A, a financial? I said, yeah, yeah. It's, if, if it's about helping people, I'll be there. <laughs> so yeah. it's interesting that we've switched a bit. Now you have gone to John Abbott College. You've gone to St. Anne de Bellevue in Quebec. You mm -hmm. study at Concordia. So where did you go after you got that education? What, what was the, the next step up to face? Up to face. So uh, I actually studied communications, uh, radio and television at, at John Abbott, and then went into human relations. All of this was exploring what I wanted to do for my adult life. In those journeys at school, in, in extracurricular activities, this is where I found out that I wanted to help people and I wanted to identify challenges that people had and try to create solutions. So at the time, there was no program for that at, at, at university, but I had the opportunity to create my own programs that ended up raising money for national organizations such as uh, national diabetes or different elements of, of society where I thought I would want to help. And then working in community centers, that's where actually, so I pivoted away from my education to my parents' uh, shock <laughs> into <laughs> the nonprofit sector. And I worked every job at community organizations. So volunteering, governance board, uh, coordinator, manager, to eventually become the executive director of one of the oldest organizations in Quebec. So I learned on the ground. I'm one of those, I'm, I guess, a product of Black community organizations and institutions grooming leadership to work on behalf of the community. Now, on your way to FACE, you must have encountered some obstacles and you had probably saw some barriers and so on, not only because of color, but also because you're a woman. And can you tell us when you did encounter those kinds of things, what did you do to get over it? Mm. What, what helped you? So I would say the thing that helped me first and primarily was I grew up watching parents who were navigating barriers uh, in their own lives, uh, being English speaking black people in Quebec, uh, looking at how they could be employed, what they have access to. And what I noticed about both of my parents is that they were very determined. These were not people who got frozen in the challenge. They found a way over, under, around it. And when you have that type of model as a kid, an example, you do the same thing. You replicate or you, you repeat that behavior. And it was a positive one. So coming in as a woman in leadership, I was the second executive director of the BCA uh, in, in Cote d'Ange. They never had a lot of women lead nonprofit organizations that were target specific, no less. So I had to learn how to find uh, common and mutually uh, beneficial objectives, learn to have people buy in, make sure that I, I was able to present why this would benefit everybody and not just the community. So it's building that skill set and just not giving up. I learned that from my parents and uh, I, I hope I'm teaching that as well to my children. There's a solution for everything. You just have to be determined to get to it. You have now found a job, head of face, which has millions and millions of dollars. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to do with that money and how is it going to help the black community? Absolutely. So the Federation of African Canadian Economics is the culmination of bringing together different service organizations and their leadership to build uh, an organization that would create an alternative pathway to accessing capital and non-financial resources for Black entrepreneurs, founders, and, and business owners. The reason why this is going to help Black Canadians is because there is a gap uh, that exists in terms of us being able to build generational wealth that's historic 
and that also exists in current the current framework of a lot of institutions that exist. Uh, working towards equity is something that I've done my, my whole career, and the new vehicle is through economic development. So with FACE, uh, who's been mandated under the Black Entrepreneurship Program to administer a loan fund of $160 million, our job is to fund Black businesses across the country uh, to allow for them to start up or scale up. And how this is going to help Black Canadians and the Black community build wealth is by addressing a few things. Uh, one, it's creating these companies that then can become job creators to hire within our own community to address the high un unemployment rate that we have. It gives us the opportunity to give uh, an entry point to newly arrived uh, Black community members who might not have an opportunity to build uh, in their first generation this, this pathway towards creating wealth and longevity and opportunities for their, for their children. It's an opportunity for us to collect the non-existing data on what it is to be a Black Canadian and where are the pain points and how do we develop strategies but also influence policy and influence how government can now make uh, a way for Black uh, Canadians to catch up and for us to have a level playing field and really create uh, a destiny that is our own. Through this program, it doesn't just include FACE, there are other organizations that are assigned to work. I would love to see youth strategies uh, happen. Uh, to date, uh, we have 26,000 users on our platform. We only started May 31st, 2021. And in that data, we can source how many youth are there. So we have 8% of the, the applicants and users are um, 18 to 30 years old. We have 36% that are women. We have 18% that are consider themselves newly arrived immigrants, meaning within the last five years. Data is power. So with that, we can help other organizations to build target-specific programming that'll help to address uh, the challenges that those groups see. And this is really how we're going to have a good knowledge transfer and infusion of best practices. Could you tell me a little bit more about the structure of, of FACE? Is there a board of directors? Who is it? And what's their powers? We are a federally registered uh, nonprofit, and we do have a board of directors. We currently have nine board members, and we are uh, recruiting to complete at 15. Uh, this includes the founding member organizations. So the original organizations that came around the table to create FACE, uh, they have representation from those organizations. And I think this is important because it addresses regionality in terms of this strategy. It's to make sure that from all the way from Halifax over to Vancouver, we have representation to ensure that they can tell us what are the needs of Black entrepreneurs in those parts of Canada. We also have academia that has joined us on our board, as well as accountants and, and, and bankers. The idea is to bring the best of these sectors to develop a model that can better suit and support Black business owners. So beyond the board of directors, we have a senior leadership team, a C-suite, and uh, we are now opening, we opened our doors in May. We already have uh, 15 employees. So we've kind of started and scaled quite quickly, <laughs> which, is good, which is good news. Um, and we're able to, and I'm glad to say today, we've already loaned $11.1 million to a Black Canadian. So this is this is a That's great incredible. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, look, now I'd like to ask you a little bit about Black History Month. Do you think that it's doing any good at all? We have February, which has been for some years now set aside as a time for Black people. But is it doing any, any good at all? Well, I would say that there's so many people in our community that have fought. I think of the Honorable Jean Augustine and, and who have fought to make sure that this holiday is recognized. And it gives a chance for our country 
to hyper-focus on the contributions of Black Canadians and Black people worldwide. The only thing that I would like to see Black History Month extend to is to start looking to the future. So it's great to use this month to look at, well, look, first of all, beyond the transatlantic slave trade, but really look at the contributions of Black people to humankind and to broaden that scope and to sensitize and educate the the community that the wider community that our our, our history did not begin with our ma'afa. What what we have is a rich history of people. Now, the Black people in Canada, when we discuss Black History Month, what we should be looking at is what are we doing going forward? What does the future look like? What do we want to bring into our communities? What is the destiny that we want? And I think that that's what would make Black History Month dynamic, but also would extend it past February 28th, because then you're in a full action plan, right? If you're talking about the future, now you've got a plan, you can start to action things. And then we come back every February to talk about how far we've advanced, uh, instead of just looking backwards. Tell me, are there any sectors of our Black lives that are not really being displayed in February during Mm -hmm. Black History Month? Of course, so much. As diverse as Black people are on this planet, we've touched every segment of human life. So I think that there has to be an emphasis on on our contribution to the sciences there and, and how that leads to today as we go into technology. Well, we have to look at what has been our contributions to mathematics and all of these things. So I think that we definitely have to open up the spectrum of what we recognize as Black excellence, although I don't love that, that statement, but in fact, Uh, we are excellent. And there's so much history that's untold. And although we are often demonstrated for our great contribution to the arts, we've done so much more. And if we want our kids to see themselves as more, they have to know that they come from that story. It's not foreign to them. And the other thing I would say is that we often hyper-focus on the African-American experience. Although it it is a beautiful story, there's so much for us to learn about here in Canada, what Black Canadians have done and have contributed and where you can go and find out more. You have to talk about the Caribbean and the continent. We have to kind of connect this idea of the diaspora so that we can get a full sense of pride and people will also see us as much fuller than just where we're at or what, we, what happened in the last 400 years. You mentioned before that we should be looking at our future and uh, in, in, in Black History Month. Can you tell us a little bit more about your view on that? Yes. So before I became the CEO of FACE, I worked in community centers. So you could imagine uh, working with youth, teens, uh, parents, uh, seniors even. And the one commonality that's there is there's this desire to know more about who I am. And that, that question of who I am really di- dictates who you will become or, or who you want to be. So I, I, I made it a, a point in my career to kind of make sure that I would dig and go a little bit beyond the, the, the famous stories, and they're important. You know, Mark, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Rosa, all of those things are so important, but there's so much more that happened in and around uh, these different time periods. So I think that it's important for us to, to, to make sure that we dig past the surface, right? We, we should not let the things that are familiar to us excite us. We should make, let the things that are unfamiliar to us excite us. Because if you, if you look down the, the rabbit hole of black, the black experience, you will fall in and you'll fall in love because it almost has no bottom. <laughs> so I think that if we really want to understand who we are as black Canadians, our beginnings here, you have to start in Nova Scotia and talk about the migration and the, the four major migrations into that place. And then how the porters 
the story that carried us to migrate across the country. So again, my childhood afforded me to know these things. I got to work in my whole career in this space. And I just, I would love for people to have that same access to knowing who they are and who they come from. At the core of what you're doing is a drive for generational wealth for Black people. Uh, and by lo looking at sustainable economic resources. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you tell us how you see that unfold, say, over the next decade? Absolutely. So the reason why we named ourselves the Federation of African-Canadian Economics is because entrepreneurship is a subset to economics. It is a, an opportunity for us to create a pathway to build generational wealth. When I think about people starting a company, and then perhaps growing and scaling that company, becoming job creators, hiring people within their own community. So addressing underemployment to people who from their own communities, when you think of the skill set that is then amassed. And then of course, passing that actual business down to their own children and us creating legacy companies, going from having micro businesses to having you know, small to medium-sized businesses will make a huge impact. Uh, not only to our community, but to the Canadian e e economy at large, especially in this recovery period. One of the main stories I would like to leave from this interview is that you have been hugely successful and you come from a fa family with a brother and a sister and a, a mother and father who are loving and warm and so on. But the base of it all, education has just been very, very important. What do you say to Black people about in Black History Month about the importance of education? Well, I think that we have to understand that the keys to us developing who we want to be is often rooted in education. And that's informal education, that's one vehicle, but it's also exploration of knowledge. So one of the things that was also embedded in my home was explore, read, uh, you know, put yourself in a space to absorb as much information as possible and like my dad would say, log it because you might need it at some point. So I think the message I would give to, to people who are listening, because um, I'm a mother, is that I try to make sure that my home is a place where kids can explore. So giving them access to books and giving them access to content that will allow for them to kind of, you know, absorb as much as they can. And through that, they can then find what is the thing that I'm passionate about? What is the thing that, that, I, that I most want to know about? And that could lead to uh, either a career uh, or becoming a business owner. You know, that could be the next big thing if the child is just exposed to enough. So any community is built first and primarily by the micro uh, community, which is your home. So no matter what your family dynamic is, um, you know, whether you have one parent, two parents or anything, it takes a community to make sure that we're making sure that our families are sound because that's the first classroom and the first environment where kids start to explore who they can be and, and believe it. That's excellent advice. And uh, I, I really thank you for that. It's been wonderful having you on today. And uh, I've learned a lot. You have a, a great history. And as I said at the beginning, uh, you know, you're, you're very young. You've already done exceptional things. And we're all sure there's going to be a lot more. In this Black History Month 2022, I want to wish you all the best and good luck. Thank you so much, Senator Oliver. You have to know that this is a moment that I'll remember. You're somebody that I learned about and taught kids about at the community center. So it's so wonderful to have this conversation with you. I appreciate it so much. And, and, I, and I really, really hope that 
whatever I do in my career, it builds off of your wonderful legacy that you've contributed to us as Black Canadians. So thank you. Well, thank you for that as well. That was Senator Don Oliver with Tiffany Callender, CEO of FACE, the Federation of African-Canadian Economics. To learn more, go to facecoalition.com. Next week, Senator Oliver's guest will be the Honorable May Ann Francis, the 31st Lieutenant Governor of Nova Scotia. You're listening to The Grapevine on 99.3 County FM, the voice of the county. Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, and you just heard a conversation between retired Canadian Senator Don Oliver and Tiffany Callender, the co-founder and CEO of FACE. Uh, My thanks to 99.3 County FM for continuing to allow us to broadcast these over the course of Black History Month. Uh, Some new synth pop uh, from from a a young act and from an established act, Commandeer out of Toronto have a new album coming out called 90 days. The lead single was dropped this week and from, from Capleton Hill, which is the newest album from stars, which will be out in the spring on last gang. We've got a track called pretenders. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM. I got a lot of regret. Found a cure in denial, but I'm not gonna forget. It only works for a
runs out, feeling like a vibe today. I stay fly, couldn't get me inside the cage, but got lost, couldn't find a way. But it's worth to say that my journey on this earth is vague. I stay fighting with the love like Kurt Cobain, but a penis from me don't hold no weight because you fans just don't know game. Got the world on my back, but I'm doing exercises with it. I'm the real deal, all these other guys are gimmicks. Sky's the limit, but I go beyond the physics and stay clean, stay stylish with it. And the pressure is high, but ain't nobody rapping better than I. I stay strapped, this is a hell of a ride. Hope you're feeling the vibes. Stay tuned, cause I'm still on the rise. Run the road, it's a hell of a life.
We're back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. Right before the break, Maylee Todd with the latest single from her forthcoming album, Malu. That was Dream With You. That'll be out on Stone's Throw Records. Before that, from Coal Mine, always reliable uh, Cleveland soul label. We heard the Surefire Soul Ensemble with their new single, The Other Side. Speaking of new singles, Kokoroko with a new track, uh, the radio edit of Something's Going On. And then from her forthcoming collaboration with Adrian Young and Ali Shahid Muhammad, that is jazz vocalist Gene Karn off of Jazz Is Dead 11. Come as you are. Tanika Charles from Papillon de Nuit, new single called Different Morning featuring Havaya Mighty. Uh, that'll be coming out on Record Kicks, a uh, great UK soul label. Uh, switching gears just a little bit here as we get into our last set before after eight radio we're going to play something new from winnipeg's own bros landreth they dropped a single called stay this week uh and then uh, from france etienne de la sayette's new track Ouvelon. uh tank and the bang has dropped a new track called black folk for black history month we're going to play that it features alex isley and masigo and then newest signing to true thoughts uh, broken beat artist Rebecca Vassmont with a track called Broken Biscuits. Uh, keep it locked here on 11.5 UMFM. There's something about this time of year. Something about the look on your face. It makes me want to stick around for more than just a couple days. Must be something in the atmosphere That's got me spinning in your space I could put some roots in the ground A fixed address beneath my
love black folk. Black look like a revolution. Look like a family reunion in the park. Black look like it's a different world. Sound like a crawfish ball in New Orleans. Black folk joke around like Martin and got paintings from JJ in the living room. It sounds strong. Look like sacrifice. It'd be flowers blooming in the summertime. Black sound like old songs. Smell like good food. And it tastes like heart disease. But it feel like maize at Jazz Fest. Black sound like something that hurt, like a hard test. Black sound like skin, like something dark. It look like hair, yeah. Black sound like rough hair and good hair. Look like history, sound spiritual. Black sound like years, like working, like night. Black sound like money, look like Walmart. Like corner stores, like cash register singing. Black sound like 400 years. Smell like Oprah. Impactful like Martin, look like Cicely Tyson, sing like Nina, got an ass like Serena. Feel like broken homes in Section 8. Black smell like crack and collard greens. Sounds motivational, feels like church. Look like big Sunday hats and ribbons. Smile like your mama, eyes like the sun, beautiful child. Sound like thick black swinging and sneaky uncles. Look like Tyler Perry making money. Sound like hating, feel frustrating, don't it? Like they don't get it. Like they won't ever get it, huh? Like push your personal feelings of racial injustice so far underneath the carpet that you trip over your own family history. <laughs> But I love me some black folk. I love the hair grease and the rental fees. The front row seats, the police, the projects, the mustard greens, being late, social security checks, government assistance, bougie black looking good, bags of hair, fake press on nails, rat tail comb, stunting gold chain, gold teeth, black men and big feet. I love me some black folk. For they are the people that were made from the darkest parts of the sky. Smile like your mama, eyes like the sun. Beautiful child, oh you're the one Fly like your daddy, make me so happy Beautiful child, oh you're the one I'm in a place when I see your face Must be nostalgia Yeah. Black don't crack. I love your skin. I don't see that from other kin. It's a day, any day. I see me and my doing different things. Pushing boundaries. West Coast, East Coast, overseas. On the 504. What you think I came to LA for? Everybody from the 504, what you think I came to LA for?
Something 